This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, including Europe's new copyright bill that is working its way through the legislative process more sales tax fallout here in the United States, ARM laptops and whether or not they are ready for prime time, and it's possible you might end up seeing a 10-minute YouTube ad on your account. We'll look at some ways you can avoid having to watch a 10-minute YouTube ad. So all that and more coming up right now. And I want to begin by thanking our newest members here on the channel. I want to thank Michael Granado. Uh, who just came on to our donor box page. So I want to thank Michael and everyone who's been contributing to the channel on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on a regular basis too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by Plex and the Plex Pass subscription service. Now Plex is a free piece of software that allows you to better organize all the media that you have under your control. So if you're like me, you probably have a huge music library. Uh, I also have a pretty large movie library on disc, but I've been taking those discs and making uh, beautiful one-to-one copies that I'm storing on Plex so I can get access to them on any device in the house. But one of the cool things about Plex is that when you leave the house, it will transcode the media and make it smaller so you can stream it to your phone while you're out and about. So you have access to all the media that you own and control anytime, anywhere. You can even share it with friends too. It's really a very flexible package. And the Plex Pass offers some additional features that you won't get in the free version, including DVR, uh, Plex Cloud, which allows you to uh, run your server in the cloud so you don't have to have a computer running at your house all the time. You have some mobile sync options for offline viewing with the Plex Pass, which is great if you're going on a plane or something and don't have access to the internet for a period of time. You get access to all of the Plex apps across every platform for free. You get early access to new features and a lot more stuff. And one of the cool things about Plex is that it works across many, many platforms. So you can organize your stuff once, and whether you're using an Android phone or an iPhone or both, Uh, Everything will look relatively the same and everything will be in the place where you left it and you can find things very easily. So definitely check out Plex, try it for free. And then if you want to get access to more features, check out the Plex Pass. So let's take a look at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we unboxed the new HP Chromebox G2 that I hope to review later this week. We also unboxed that Asus Nova Go laptop that we reviewed on the main channel. Uh, So you can see that review in the master playlist down below. We also did a review of the new Amazon Fire TV Cube and compared it to the Fire TV 3. Uh, They are pretty much the same device, but the Cube adds a lot of voice control, which was kind of cool, but uh, those Amazon Cubes are still falling behind performance-wise where they used to be. And we also looked at organizing music on Plex for my monthly sponsored Plex video. We talked about FLAC and how you can get everything organized and sorted out inside of your Plex server. So a great video to see how some of the organizational stuff works. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week 70 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. I had a lot of fun working on stuff this week. Uh, This is one of the times where I've actually gotten ahead on content. So 
I'm about two videos ahead coming into this week, which is great to not have as much pressure to produce as much stuff. So hoping to get caught up on some office tasks here on the channel uh, over the next couple of days now that I have uh, some videos in the hopper ready for you to watch. And I'll talk about what those are a little bit later here in the wrap-up. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye this week. And the European Union is once again considering more regulation on content on the internet. This bill they're considering, which is not yet law, uh, would require every website that accepts user content to have some kind of automated content recognition system to review all material that users upload for copyright violations. And you can imagine, first of all, how hard something like that would be to implement because you'd have to have some way of bringing in every piece of content ever created to compare against. So the viability of this is kind of in question to begin with. But the other issue that I have with this is that this could prevent fair use of content in the case of criticism for maybe a political position or some other thing, or even humor like memes and that kind of thing could be immediately censored the moment you hit the upload button because if that photo exists in that recognition database, these websites hoping not to break the law would just prevent you from uploading it at all. And because every website in the, in the European Union or essentially the world would be required to abide by this regulation, you couldn't upload it anywhere without getting flagged. It's a real problem. Uh, and this is something that could become law in the EU. So if you're in Europe, you might want to contact your uh, government officials and urge them to reconsider this or not consider it at all as it's working its way through the legislative process. The funny thing with this is that the EU might actually create a scenario that they're trying to avoid, which is these large tech companies getting bigger. Because if I wanted to start up my own user-generated website, uh, I may not have the resources to build one of these database systems to monitor this content and be compliant with the regulations. So what would happen would be uh, more people would likely be using big platforms to host their stuff as opposed to having other startups come into play. I don't know how they're going to implement this, but just like the GDPR, this might be something that gets implemented globally because these content providers can't figure out where users might be coming from and don't want to risk getting fined. So they'll just make it apply to everybody. And this could be a real problem uh, moving forward here. So if you are in the EU, contact your legislators and ask them to get some common sense and maybe some knowledge about how the internet works and move on from there. Uh, one of the things that we have in the United States is a Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which gives these content sites safe harbor from their users' activities. Uh, Google implemented a content identification system, as did Facebook, uh, to avoid lawsuits, but the protections under the law for the uploader still exist. And uh, this is something that the European Union might be stripping away from people uh, if it does get implemented. So again, this has got some real serious uh, consequences here, and hopefully it does not become the law of the land in the EU. The Wall Street Journal reports about the sales tax ruling we talked about a few weeks ago in relation to small businesses. Uh, it's very easy for Amazon and other large e-commerce providers to react to this change, which is basically a Supreme Court ruling that said states can collect sales tax even if you don't have a physical presence in that state. Uh, the existence of a customer in that state is all that is really necessary at this point. But the problem here in the U.S. is that our uh, tax code, especially related to sales taxes, is a mess. And no two states do it the same way. And there's some concern that uh, you know, small mom and pop shops that are selling on eBay and other places are going to have a really hard time complying with this because 
every state uh, accepts their sales tax receipts in different ways, which means you have to file individually in every single state your customers might be coming from, which is a very heavy paperwork burden. Uh, We also saw eBay launch a petition in regards to this because their sellers, even the small, tiny ones, uh, are really going to have to pay or collect sales taxes to uh, every state they send stuff to. And they're trying to urge Congress to come up with some kind of standard here to make it easier on everybody to comply with whatever laws these states now decide to pass in relation to sales taxes. Uh, There's also services springing up to help make this easier for small companies. Uh, This one is called TaxCloud. I think they're based here in Connecticut. And they have a number of states that have uh, started paying this service to uh, automate the process of these sales tax collections because they look at this as a benefit to them. And as a result, if the state that you're sending to is on this free list, uh, you'll be able to get those taxes collected and filed and I think paid to those uh, states for free with no added uh, expense to it, which actually is a pretty good deal, I think. Uh, but states that are not part of this deal with uh, TaxCloud, you'll have another half a percent uh, taken out of the sale so they can manage the, uh, the flow of paperwork and information. So we'll, hopefully we'll start seeing some ways to comply with this law for small businesses that makes more sense. But ultimately, I think it would be much easier for there to just be a standard and a way to you know, maybe file something once and get it done. I have been running a payroll service here now that I have people working for me. And one of the nice things about how these payroll systems work is that I don't have to do anything beyond put in the number of hours that uh, Corey is working. And at the end of the week, they automatically take the money out of my account. They pay him. They pay all the taxes. They do the state filing. They do the federal filing. Really easy for me. And I'm very happy to pay the 25 bucks a month month it costs me to uh, run this service. So hopefully we'll start seeing more Uh, automated systems to do that, but a standard might make life a lot easier for small businesses. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers, and a bunch of you wrote in in regards to my review of that Asus Novago laptop running with the Snapdragon ARM processor. Uh, This was the first computer I looked at that was running Windows on an ARM chip, and it was running it better than I expected, but the performance for the cost wasn't working for me, as it wasn't for many of you either. And a lot of you wrote in also asking if it could run Linux, and I don't know. I think it probably could if somebody's got a distribution that works. I couldn't find it, Uh, so let me know down in the comments below if there is one out there somewhere. I'm probably going to get rid of that laptop soon and try to recoup some of my investment in it. Um, But if you have something that you know of that exists right now, we can try to do a follow-up video on it. I would imagine we would see decent performance. We see really nice performance out of these rock chip-based ARM Chromebooks. So I would guess a Snapdragon processor like this would do better. So let me know, and I'll try to do something before I get rid of the laptop. But again, I think this is just uh, not worth the money right now. And I hope this doesn't blow up the Snapdragon ARM project before it could really get started. They really chose the wrong chip here to launch their first round of consumer laptops. The battery life is certainly nice, but uh, the performance that you get out of these things for that price just isn't going to appeal to many consumers. And I think those that do purchase it may end up returning it Uh, because of those issues, especially when you can spend the same money and get like an i5-based machine with tremendously better performance, even though the battery life may not uh, be there with it. It reminds me, and many of you, a lot of the Windows RT debacle from a number of years ago. When Windows 8 launched, they came up with these ARM-based tablets that they said was running Windows, but it wouldn't run a lot of Windows applications. It had to be in the Metro interface, and it had to be 
uh, running on the ARM architecture for it to work. Uh, what they've done now with these new ARM-based Windows laptops is allow the Intel software to run, provided it's 32-bit. Uh, but again, the performance issues come into play here, but it is much more usable uh, than these RT machines ever were. And the other problem the RT machines ran into is that Intel was really focused on mobile technology at that point in time, and they came up with those really awesome Atom processors that were performing better uh, than these ARM uh, equivalents were at the time, and it could run the entire library of Windows software. It may not have run every application well, but it could run everything that you threw at it because it was a true Intel chip uh, versus something that was kind of crippled like these were. So uh, that was their last attempt, and hopefully uh, they get something going here with an alternative architecture, but they really got to get the performance going. It also reminded me a bit of the transition from power PC, or to PowerPC that Apple made in the early 90s because they had a similar conundrum where they moved from these you know, standard 68,000 chips to a risk-based PowerPC processor that was a completely different architecture. And Apple knew their customers wanted to run their current library of software, so they had a really nice seamless emulator that worked on these things from day one. Uh, there was a bit of a performance hit on these, but uh, as applications got written for PowerPC, they saw a, a big performance boost over the equivalently priced uh, 68,000 device that they may have had before, and it was really well done there. And again, I was very impressed with how well Microsoft implemented the Intel emulation on ARM, but they're uh, just not doing it with the right processor. So hopefully we'll see more from ARM in the future uh, on Windows, but right now I definitely do not recommend buying it. But if you do know of a Linux implementation that we can try, I'm happy to give it a shot. Let me know down in the comments below. And our next question comes in from Teddy, who's curious if Amazon has abandoned the Android enthusiast market. And the short answer to that is absolutely yes, they have, because I don't think there's any money in it for them. And I think the market for high-end Android TV boxes is relatively small. And as a result, we're seeing the Amazon Fire TV 3 be less powerful than the TV 2. But they're also able to sell the TV 3 for $20 less than they launched the TV 2 at because these uh, chips they're using, which we're also seeing on devices like the Raspberry Pi 3 here, are able to process video quite well. And that's really all they're seeing their customers use these things for is to watch video. So they're figuring, hey, if we can make a little more money on the hardware and make these more accessible to the consumer, they'll be buying more media from us and we'll make more money overall. It just doesn't seem to be a real consumer interest to get a powerful set-top box when they're still focused on getting the powerful boxes to play games and the less powerful cheap boxes to play video when they need it. Uh, one thing you might want to check out is the device specification page that Amazon has set up for all of their fired TV devices, including the old ones. It's a nice way to compare things to see what you're getting for your purchase if you're interested in that. And the most powerful Android box, three years later, uh, remains the NVIDIA Shield TV. They came up with a new version of it for this, you know, the 16 gigabyte version that is smaller than the original was. But beyond that, uh, it is the same exact device. And I think if there was a hungrier market for more powerful Android boxes, we would have seen a revision or two of this uh, NVIDIA Shield with more powerful processors inside. But clearly, uh, that is not where consumers' interests are. 
And yet consumers are willing to spend money on game consoles, provided they're marketed the right way. And there's no better example than the Nintendo Switch, because the Switch inside is the exact same device as the Shield, just running uh, in a different form factor and marketed as a gaming device by Nintendo. It is doing light years better than the Shield did in sales. Developers for games are flocking to the Switch in droves. Uh, NVIDIA really tried to get a big games library built up for the Shield, as did Amazon with their platform, and they were not seeing a lot of developer interest because consumers did not know what to make of the Shield. Is it a video playback set-top box, or is it a game console? I don't think consumers see these things as both, even though they might discover uh, perhaps that video playback functionality on an Xbox One, for example. It's not why they buy these devices, and I think that's where... Uh, the consumer mindset is. And oddly enough, or maybe not so oddly, uh, the Nintendo Switch right now plays back no video at all. I don't think there's a Netflix or a Hulu or a YouTube app on the Switch at the time that I'm recording this video, yet you can find all of those things on the Shield. So this just gives you an example of how consumers see the world, and we've got two different devices running with the exact same chips, yet uh, they are being used in very different ways. And this is also why I think it's really hard to launch a game console, because the marketing dollars required to be successful are immense, and if you don't have that kind of marketing muscle behind you, it's going to be very hard to beat the incumbents, as NVIDIA found out here. But of course, if you can't beat them, join them. And that is exactly what NVIDIA did with Nintendo. And I love getting these YouTube business questions, and I thought this was a good one. Uh, one man show is asking about a 10-minute YouTube ad he saw the other day. Uh, he did have the opportunity to skip it. And by the way, there is never going to be an ad on YouTube. I hope that you can't skip when it's 10 minutes long. But he thought it was absolutely ridiculous that somebody could do this. And this is what's so cool about these platforms is that uh, unlike television where you, can, you pay for 30 seconds because inventory is limited, here on YouTube, there really is no end to the inventory. So if you want to run a 10-minute ad, have at it. It really doesn't cost anything more uh, to the advertiser or to the platform for that 10-minute ad to run. However, there is a question of you know, the ability to capture the viewer's attention and get what you're paying for as an advertiser. And I haven't watched this ad, so I don't know whether it was good or not. But one of the cool things about YouTube is that you can buy an ad uh, with any video on the platform, even one that is not yours. So you could take this 30-minute wrap-up video and just buy an ad and have a bunch of people watch it, and you'll be paying for that privilege, but you can do it if you want, and that's the freedom of the Internet to be able to do that kind of thing. But I do think if you are going to run an ad on YouTube, you need to follow some good practices and be able to capture the viewer's attention enough to get the results you're looking for. And clearly, uh, this advertiser was not successful with the one-man show here, and uh, maybe they should rethink their strategy. My friend Dane Golden runs a great website and YouTube channel at hey.com. He does a lot of consulting in this area, and there is some really good strategies to how you do a YouTube ad, and it's not always based on length. It's a matter of capturing attention, getting the information that you want out, and sometimes a good ad can be 10 minutes if the viewer doesn't feel like they're watching an ad, and there might be a way that you can make it work. But I do agree that you're taking a big risk uh, with that 10-minute ad. But there's an interesting quirk as to how YouTube advertising works on the skippable ads like the one that's referenced here. If you have an ad that's 32 seconds long, for example, and somebody clicks the skip button at the 29th second, you don't pay for the ad. You only pay when somebody watches for 30 seconds. However, if your ad is only 25 seconds long, uh, you're going to pay for the ad if the viewer gets to the end of it. So there are some strategies you might be able to give the viewer everything you want them to hear, 
And then if they skip it before the ad ends, uh, you can get your message out essentially for free, which is why sometimes having a slightly longer ad might be beneficial in some cases. But uh, again, you've got to really work with the uh, platform here for what is best for your particular advertisement. Now, my Q&A for you this week is about merchandising. If you remember Spaceballs, they had that great scene, merchandising, merchandising. Well, I am thinking about merchandising a little bit, primarily because YouTube has created this new system to integrate it right into my channel with Teespring. And I'm considering maybe making up some shirts and definitely maybe doing a mug or that kind of thing. And I'm just curious what your interest is in merchandising. I'm trying to figure out if I want to do this, first of all, uh, and invest some uh, money in having an artist make up a couple of different designs for me. And I don't want to go down that road if there's not a lot of interest for that. So I, what I was probably going to start with was just a basic t-shirt with my logo and a mug or something like that. And then if there's interest, maybe take some of the things that we do a lot here on the channel, like maybe parts of my disclaimers, for example, and uh, build them into a shirt with some kind of design. Uh, but if there's no interest in that, I don't want to invest in the artist to make that happen. So I'd be curious as to hear, you know, who's doing merchandise right? What kind of merchandise have you bought from creators in the past? Would you be interested if I had any merchandise available? Uh, and if so, what are you willing to pay for it at the uh, maximum? So I just want to find the bright mix here to make everything work. So I'm probably going to start with an experiment again, just with the logo uh, and see what we can do with that. And then we can tweak it as we go. But I just want to see if there's any interest in this first before I make any sizable investments into it. Uh, so let me know down in the comments below. And our channel of the week this week is one that I'm surprised I haven't mentioned before. And that is Lewis Rossman, who's got a great site about repairing computers, mostly Apple computers, and also covers a lot about the right to repair movement. Uh, he's one of these guys who does repairs correctly. He's self-taught and he took his viewers through that journey of learning how to repair things the right way. And it's been a really fascinating channel to watch develop over time. And you can see how uh, large his subscriber base is now. He's well over 400,000 subscribers. And he's got a store in New York City where you can bring your broken computer to, and he'll usually fix it for you at a reasonable price. So definitely check him out, Lewis Rossman. I am thinking about maybe reaching out to him for a podcast interview to talk about this right to repair issue in the future. So uh, stay tuned. I'll let you know when I've got the scheduling done with that. I don't know if he would agree to do it, first of all, uh, but I will be reaching out to him and seeing if he's interested in that just because I'm fascinated with what he's doing and the movement in general. Now this week on the channel, we've got a bunch of stuff already shot. I've got a tour of my home theater. I think I talked about this last week, but I've done it now. Uh, it's all set to go. We got some new Atmos speakers for the theater upstairs. So we're going to have a new tour with these Atmos speakers. I'll talk about what I think of Atmos as well. So stay tuned for that later in the week. Probably going to review the Chromebox this week, the G2. Uh, it is Linux compatible with that new integrated Linux feature. So we're going to be playing with that a bit and maybe do a little bit uh, in that video and maybe do a little bit more in a follow-up because that is something we're going to be seeing a lot more of on Chrome shortly. Uh, this is the $200 Chrome box with the KB Lake U processor inside. That's the Celeron. And I also shot this review already too. The, there was a pair of ThinkPads that came in, uh, the E480 and the E580. Uh, these are the least cost uh, ThinkPads in the line, uh, but they're powered by the 8th generation Intel quad-core i5 chips. Uh, incidentally, the 14-inch the version of this costs less than the ARM one we just looked at from Asus, yet it is far more powerful, so there you go. Uh, so that one will be coming up later this week as well. And I did get in the Y530 that we just saw a week ago in New York, 
uh, from Lenovo. This, I think, is a Best Buy exclusive gaming laptop. It's under $1,000 and has a 1050 Ti built in. Uh, so we'll be taking a look at that one uh, possibly this week, definitely early next week if I don't get to it uh, this week on the wrap-up. So lots of good stuff there. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can support me at lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel either through DonorBox or Patreon. Appreciate everyone's support of the channel there. Uh, we also have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you want to try out Plex and not have to pay for anything ever, you can go to lon.tv Plex and sign up for a free account, no credit card required. We'll get a small commission for that. And of course, we get a larger commission when you do the Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. And you can find what I do in other places. We've got my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast, and I'm going to be breaking out into two different podcast feeds soon because we've got the monthly podcast, which I'll be shooting a little later this week. We'll have a surprise guest in for that. Uh, and then I have the weekly wrap-up, this show, that I also release in audio form. I've been putting both of those on this feed, but this week, when I have time now to catch up on a few things, I'm going to be bifurcating uh, the podcast feeds. We're going to have a weekly wrap-up audio podcast feed, and then we're going to have the regular podcast feed that will appear about once a month with a new episode. So if you are listening to this on the, uh, the audio version right now, uh, definitely go and look for that weekly wrap-up podcast feed. I'll put a link down below in this video and also put it up on uh, my Facebook page too so you can find it when it's ready. But you should be able to search through most of your favorite uh, podcatching applications and find it there. The Snippets channel takes portions of this video and others and makes them more search-friendly for uh, quick snippets of things that I do, kind of like a highlight reel. And then we have my upcoming live streams that I hope to get to at some point in the near future where we'll be doing something uh, on a, probably a bi-weekly basis to begin and then seeing where it goes from there. So stay tuned. We'll be working on live streams shortly, but you can see my archive of live streams at that link. And then if you want to get stuff from this channel, whenever I upload it, uh, click the bell and you'll get notified whenever something gets uploaded to the channel. We have other ways to engage. My email list at lon.tv email. It's a very infrequent list, so you won't hear from me often. We've got the Facebook page at lon.tv Facebook, the Facebook group at lon.tv Facebook group, where we've got almost 350 of you now all interacting there. And we have the store at lon.tv store, where you can buy stuff that I've re previously reviewed here on the channel, including that uh, Asus laptop that'll be going up very shortly, unless somebody finds a Linux distribution for me to try first. And then you can get notified whenever I do update the store at lon.tv slash store alert. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Lots more to come here on the channel. And I'm looking forward to having a couple of days to catch up on my to-do list of stuff that uh, doesn't involve making videos but still contributes significantly to the growth of the channel. I want to thank you all for your continued support of the channel, whether it's through Patreon, DonorBox, or just through subscribing and viewing, as well as all the comments that you all make on everything I upload. It really does help steer me in the right direction to continue the growth path that we're on here and we're almost to 200,000 subscribers can't wait to have that event too so maybe uh, maybe another three months or so we'll probably be there so stay tuned and tell your friends and hopefully we'll get there sooner than that until next time this is Lon Seibin thanks for watching this channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters including gold level supporters of the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast Chris Allegretta Tom Albrecht and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. 
Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.